Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Now normally in my class I use my, my dry erase board because uh, I like using my dry erase board. I guess it's old school, but old school really is chalk. Um, but those of you who didn't grow up, you young people with chalkboards, you realize I can do this and it doesn't bother you. Uh, chalkboards were nasty. Uh, although I know some people love them, uh, la, 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 la. can't handle them. Uh, but maybe just to kind of show you, you know, a little bit of a little kind of a visual thing. I'm not really a good drawer. This is really not the size of Mount Hermon on a scale model. Uh, somebody pointed out that I often start off going up this way and coming down this way, and it's like, well, don't wouldn't they come back down? I'm like, yes, and uh, I've got more space over here. Uh, but, but what happened last week, man, was it not exciting? Was it not just so exciting, the transfiguration of Jesus? And, and Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this mountain, and he reveals himself. He reveals his glory. He shows his very essence, and, and it's just this, this brightness. And... and and Moses and Elijah show up. You don't know a lot about them. You at least know this. They haven't been walking the earth for hundreds of years. And they just show up. And then they disappear. Because they close out the Old Testament. And, and there's something about what's, what these two guys are supposed to be coming. And, and they're pointing to something very important. And they also had a mountain moment where God revealed his glory on Sinai for them. They didn't know what to say. Peter didn't know what to say, but he said something anyway, right? <laughs> and it was inappropriate. It was. But, but he's just at a loss for words. And I think it's hard for us, you know, and certainly off of a dry erase board, to really capture what happened up on that mountain. But unfortunately, they had to come back down the mountain. And, and we talked about in class what it was like for Moses and Elijah. And we also talked about what it was like when Peter, James, and John, and Jesus come down that mountain too. And, it, and it's exactly what you would expect after having a mountain moment and coming back down into reality. And so I want to begin reading in verse 14. He says, and when he came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them. Remember, they've just come down. And scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever I seize him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? 
bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him, listen to this, cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Wow. We talked about this in class. They come down the mountain, and, and it's a mess, folks. It's just a mess. I mean, what do they find down here? Well, they find chaos, right? They find failure. They weren't able to cast out this demon, which also there's evil, an evil power that's down the mountain. Um, a faithless generation, they're down here. Um, this humiliation. Not only had they failed, they failed in front of their enemies. Oh, and don't forget about arguing. You see, that's, that's what happens when you come down the mountain. That's here. That's coming back into our world, into our reality of the way things are, right? And I, and I wonder, and I mentioned this in class, I'm, I'm just wondering, what were Peter, James, and John thinking? And they walk down, and there's this just big mess going on. I mean, you think they were like, Jesus, um, let's go back up, <laughs> you know? Uh, maybe let's come back down a few days, and maybe all this will be kind of, maybe everybody will be gone by then. I mean, you're just, you just wonder, what are they thinking after this, this glorious moment up here on the mount? Recently, uh, Missy and I, we were able to go to Nantucket Island. And it, it, is, it really is sort of a, a transfiguration for us, okay? We, we, it's a tra total transformation from dealing with appointments and just everyday stresses and, and you know... Um, schedules and all of these types of things and you, you just go there and we immerse ourselves into the nature it's just one of the most beautiful places you'll ever go and we just immerse ourselves in the nature and and it was cool there I know y'all are shocked to hear me say that it was nice it was cool there and, and we just we we took part in the slow pace of this small little island and, and I can't think of a time when I was, the last time I was that relaxed. I'm serious. I was just so relaxed. And, and many mornings I would just get up and I would take my psalms and I would go out on the front porch in the nice cool air. And I could see the, you know, the, the, the leaves starting to turn a little bit. And just, I just worshiped God through psalms. It was wonderful. And then I came home. Get to my car, 
my window smashed out, somebody broke into it because a Chevy Cruze just says, this guy's got something. <laughs> and then, you know, we uh, get back and the next day, I mean, I'm working all day long and, and I'm, you know, going through hundreds of emails. It's amazing how many emails you get. Uh, and, and voicemails, and you're trying to answer those, and, and looking at appointments, and, and just you're getting back into it. And I'm, I'm not kidding you when I say this. I just, by the end of the day, and Missy will tell you this, I just f- felt this heaviness, like I felt this tremendous amount of guilt just right here. And, you know, Missy's like, how? Man, we were just up on the mount, you know? I mean, you would, why is this? And I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, it was like things of the past and things of the present, you know, things that like I should have done this or maybe I should have done that. And, uh, you know, you're thinking about the people who died while you were gone and, and you know, just all these things that are going. And, and, and for whatever reason, I just, there was guilt. I'm, I'm telling you, it was just this tremendous amount of guilt. Um, I was ready to go back up the mountain. I really was. But here's the thing, you cannot isolate yourself from the chaos in our world. And as wonderful as mountain moments are, and we're supposed to have them, folks, God wants us to come back down and minister to people who are hurting. You know, a couple of days after that, I mean, I'm rushing off to, to the Harding Lectures and it was great. I mean, I heard some, heard some wonderful things, um, man, some things I needed to hear personally. And then, you know, that Sunday morning we were there, we went to two worship services that morning. We went to an early service at one church, and then we went to another one. And both were, there. the atmosphere was different, but it was also very uplifting. Both of them were very uplifting. And and, you know, at night at the Harding Lectures, there'd be like over a thousand people that are singing. And, and, it was, and it was wonderful. And we go into these churches and we go into these lectures. And guess what? It was me and Joe and Peyton. And no one, no one expected anything of us. It was nice. I didn't know anybody's problem in that place, <laughs> in any of those places. And I just, and I think I, I did and felt like, you know, people do when they're looking for church. They're just looking for a place to go sit in a pew somewhere and just sit back and enjoy and hopefully get something from it and then go home, but not have any kind of responsibility. Listen, that's not what God intended for us. As much as I love that, God says we got to come down the mountain and we got to get back into our, our culture of chaos and failure and where there's evil power in our world and a faithless generation where I'm, I'm humbled at times, I'm, I'm humiliated at times, where there's arguing that's going on and I'm expected to do ministry in the valley. And it's not just those who have a title such as preacher or elders. It's, it's all of us, disciples of Jesus. Let's keep going. Verses 23 and 24 says, and Jesus said to him, if you can. Okay, now let me back up. What Jesus, what he had just said, he comes to Jesus and he's telling him about his boy. And he says, listen, have compassion on us, help us. And he said, if you can, and Jesus comes back, if I can, if you can, all things are possible 
for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, listen to this, I believe, help my unbelief. The father belongs to the faithless generation. And he's struggling. And the things that has transpired has not helped. He's he's in this desperate situation and he brings his boy to one of the disciples of Jesus who had been known for casting out demons and, and they couldn't do it. And now they're over here arguing with the scribes. I mean, what little bit of faith he had coming in, I I imagine a little bit more just kind of left. Folks, this is a difficult situation. The faith he needs that Jesus says that you must have for your son to be healed, he doesn't have. And you can read between the lines and you can hear the distress of this father whose son is just, these awful things are happening to him. He's watching his son in so much pain and torture. And he says, he just gives everything that he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And it sounds like a complete, you know, contradiction here. And he's saying, I'm unable to believe. But I'm hoping, I'm I'm just hoping something happens here. And he's asking, he's asking for a miracle, even though he's, he, he's not real sure this is going to happen. And he's asking to have a kind of faith that believes in the impossible. You ever felt that way? Man, you're just desperate. You're frustrated. You're distressed. Maybe even just angry. Maybe your child is addicted to some kind of substance abuse. And you see your child just as this man sees his when this demon attacks it. It's just totally out of its character. It's it's not the child that I remember growing up. And you know that if something doesn't take control of your child, that it's very possible that child's going to die. Or maybe it's a it's your marriage. It's it's just failing. And and you just feel like, you know, that this marriage is like being thrown into the fire at times. And and you you know, you things start seem to be getting better, and then next thing you know, I mean, there's like it's just like a boy be attacked with these these types of seizures. It's it's like without warning, it just you're at each other's throats. I think one of the hardest things for people to go through is to watch someone that we love who is suffering in any way or they're dying. You know, you look at them, they don't look like the person that you remember. You may have even come to the church and you ask them to pray about it and nothing seems to be getting better. In fact, things have gotten worse. And to make matters worse, 
this person that you love, there's just arguing going all around. Maybe they're arguing about what, they, what you should do in this situation or arguing over whose fault it is. We could say that with the kids. We could say that with our marriages. And, you know, we're arguing with each other. This father has gotten to the point that he's get, almost given up all hope. And Jesus tells him to believe. And he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's struggling. And some of you in here, I would be surprised if you're not either. You may say, well, you know what? I see people like that. And I just tell them, look, you got to have faith. That sounds great. It's like, isn't that what Jesus said? No. Listen, Christian cliches, they, they don't help matters. Look, if you just have faith, and, and we may think, well, either someone has faith or they don't have faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. There's a tension here. And get this, Jesus does not expect him. I love this about Jesus. He doesn't expect him to muster up enough faith that can move a mountain Enough faith that will heal his son. True faith, folks, is knowing how inadequate we are. Look at verse 25. After he tells him this and after he comes right, I mean, right after he says, I believe, but help me believe, it says in verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. True faith is knowing how small and inadequate our faith is. He risked everything on what little faith that he has, and he just gives it to Jesus, and he comes to him not with this great faith, he comes really with empty hands, and he's asking Jesus to fill it. And Jesus is not put off by humble honesty when someone says, I believe, but I'm not so sure. What a great God. Look at verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. Oh, that's not good. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Folks, there's something here that we are intended to. To see. There is, Mark makes sure that we understand what the crowd is thinking. It's a very important detail. They think he's dead. You know, it's like, it's like before the disciples, well, they couldn't heal him, but, but at least they didn't kill him, you know. But folks, this language is here because of the language that's used right after now remember what he just said. It says, Jesus took, now I put these funny little words up here beside them in the Greek to show you something. It says, he took him by the hand, he lifted him up, and he arose. 
And when you compare that to when Jesus rose Jairus' daughter, it is the exact same language. And you're like, well, why is that important here? When they were coming down the mountain, folks, they were having a discussion. And Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, listen, don't tell, tell people about what you saw up here. He says, not until I'm resurrected. And, and there in verses 9 and 10, you know, they, they're, they're confused. Because they're not real sure what that means. He's going to be resurrected. Remember, we've talked about this. To be resurrected, it means you, you have to die first. And Jesus gives them like this first object lesson. You see this here. The first object lesson on the meaning of death and resurrection. After driving out this evil spirit, Jesus gives this boy new life. Folks, this is what the mission of Jesus is all about. This is why death and resurrection are both necessary. You see this. His death, it drives out evil. It drives out sin. It drives out those things that bring us the chaos, the failure, and all of these things that we have in our lives. But he doesn't just throw them out. He brings in something new. There's a new life that we're given at that moment. Oh, we're not finished. Look at verses 28 and 29. This is the way it finishes. And when they had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Folks, this wasn't their first rodeo. They've cast out demons before. Back in chapter 6, they're sent out two by two. Jesus is not even with them. And they're casting out demons. They're healing the sick. But they failed. But this failure, we may look at it as a bad thing, but this failure, and we need to see this about our own lives, this failure was very important. You know why it was important? Because it helped them to realize that it's not in them. The ability to heal, the ability to deal with evil and this kind of power is not within themselves. And despite their past successes, they must depend upon God. What was going on when Jesus first came down the mountain? These disciples are arguing with the scribes. You see that? They're arguing with the scribes. Instead of going to God in prayer to deal with this, this evil power, they're arguing. They're having some kind of religious debate. Meanwhile, there is this desperate father whose son is eat up with this evil power. And he's suffering. Can we talk about us for just a minute? The faithless generation sits back and they watch the church and they watch Christians argue among themselves. And we sometimes wonder, why, why, has, why has Christianity declined so much? 
I'm not saying this is all of it. I'm saying this is part of it. And maybe if we spent more time in prayer and serving people who are dealing with things in the valley, maybe people, their unbelief would turn into something of great power. Hurting people, let me tell you this, if you don't know this, and I feel like everybody in here does, hurting people could care less about our theological debates. They don't care, they're hurting. Way too many people have turned away from God and they've turned away from the church because they are turned off by petty bickerings of those that are more interested in winning arguments than helping people in their unbelief. And while we debate over who's right and who's wrong, and even we may be right, there are people who walk away in unbelief. And they're hurt. And evil power wins. That's what we're fighting, folks. Not each other. We're fighting the evil. We can go at each other and go round and round and we can spend all the time on things that the Bible never even mentions one time. Not one time. And yet we fail to share the object of our worship with the people who are just wanting to know what the meaning of life is about. Do we talk more about what we think Christians should be doing or do we talk more to our Father on our knees and asking God? And really the question, and this is, this is interesting because one of the things we, all three, the elder, I mean Joe and me and Peyton, we went to and we came out with this, this is something very important and we, we've continued to do this like an everyday thing. And it's this question we need to ask ourselves. Or actually, we need to ask God every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm guilty. I'm guilty of being, being and arguing and, and wallowing in my failures and chaos or other people's than I have really just, just talking to God and saying, you're the power. You're the one. Send me to someone. Only a life dominated by faith and prayer is going to be able to defeat evil. To have the power of prayer that can cast out evil, it's going to take, it's going to take a complete dependence upon God. And that doesn't mean that people that we love and they have a terminal illness, that all of a sudden they're going to be healed. Maybe, maybe. But that's not what this is about. It's about not limiting God and taking it to Him. And rather than wallowing down here in the valley and having all of these questions of what if or why didn't, if we just continue to take these things before our God and just trust Him in our unbelief, 
And, and, and let me say this for those of you who may be in here right now and you're struggling with your unbelief. And you may, you may say, people, there are people in here who'd be shocked if they knew that I'm struggling with my unbelief right now. That may be people who, who grew up going to church their whole lives. It may be someone who's here and, and you're here for the first time and, and you're struggling with this. And let me say this, I apologize if I ever, I, I haven't taken the time to pray with you and I've been more involved in arguing and, and wallowing in my own chaos and everything else, getting distracted and not caring for you enough. and not just me, anyone right here in this, this very room you say this is a person I want praying with me for me it's, that's where it is that's where it is and, and God promises that if we just, even in the point of we don't have this, this powerful faith, he says, if you'll just trust me, even though you don't have it all figured out, he says, if you just trust me, he says, you're not the one moving mountains. He said, but I just need your open hands so I can feel them. That's faith. And we talk about baptism here. We have a baptistry. It's evident we believe that's important. But let me tell you what it represents. It represents new life. It represents a life of this evil and of our sins and everything else. It, it, we just bury it. And then it represents the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that all these things that we're talking about, the up and down of the mountain, it's, that's, this is, it's symbolizing all of these things. And there's this new life that God promises us. We still live down here. But we got our eye up here. Because Jesus is coming. And we're going to be given the glorified body of Christ. I don't know what else to tell you. I can tell you, if you, if you need prayers this morning, we're more than willing to help you, whether it's at this time as we sing a song or whether it's afterwards. You're ready to be baptized. You, you know what that's understanding what that is. If you don't understand what that is and you say, okay, I want some of this new life, let me tell you, because there's a lot more to that than just saying, okay, I'm in water and all my life is taken care of. No, no, no. It's, it's what everything about it represents. That's the story you want to hear before you go in that's it and, and we just release we just release ourselves on Jesus and if we can help you in any way let us do so now as together we stand and as we sing